Luke 24, 13 through 35. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said, Are you the one visiting Jerusalem unaware of all the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, today we come to the conclusion of this summer series. I hope that it has been a really good experience for you all. I've really, really enjoyed it. Uh, we've been looking at the person of Jesus, who he is, what he has done for us. And we've been do doing that by looking at the story of the Old Testament scriptures and seeing the themes and the characters and tracing them through and seeing Jesus as the beautiful fulfillment of all of those amazing themes and characters and storylines. And so it's been a really fun experience for me. I hope it has been for you. And we, we end uh, where we began in Luke uh, 24. This is what was read the, for the first week of this series. These two disciples, the day of Jesus' resurrection, going on the road to Emmaus, an eight-mile journey, encountering unknowingly to them the risen Jesus. 
And uh, he opens the scriptures. I love verse 27. Look at it again. Uh, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And we'll never know what he said and what scriptures he looked at, but this has been our attempt to consider some of the scriptures that he probably drew on, some of the stories that pointed ultimately to his person and to his ministry to us. And I love also their response. Look at verse 32. Uh, They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? What an amazing experience that must have been to walk with Jesus, have the word of God, explain the word of God about himself and their hearts were burning. And my hope is that over the summer, in some small ways, our own hearts have been burning within us as we've understood the story better, understood, understood Jesus, that our hearts and minds have come awake, have come to understand in a deeper, fuller way who he is and what he's done and, and to appreciate that. So um, that's what this has been about. And um, today we're going to conclude this series and this is going to be a worship service today. All right, that's how we're ending. I'm going to share some stuff, and then we're going to end in worship. And I don't just mean music by worship, but we're going to respond. That we've been taking in uh, this information about who Jesus is. And this is our chance now as a group, as a body, as a family, to respond to him in worship. To offer him our hearts again. To offer our trust, our enjoyment, our obedience. We've been receiving. This is our chance to give back to the one who has given so much to us. So that's what we're going to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us on about a 10 minute, maybe 15 minutes, if I'm a little long winded review, uh, to remind us of where we've been. And then we're going to create some space to respond to Jesus in, in a couple different ways. And we'll, we'll end by celebrating communion, which is how our passage ended um, today with them. Well, maybe not, they wouldn't have thought of his communion, but the breaking of bread where they recognized Jesus. So that's the plan. I hope that you're up for that. Because uh, you got some work to do today, okay? This is, this is your chance to respond. So um, I'll be praying the Spirit moves in our hearts and minds so we can do that accordingly. Um, so let me take you on a 10-minute journey through uh, the fall, uh, the summer. And this is great. If you miss the summer, all you need is the next 10 minutes, and you're, you're good. So um, let me remind you of the story, and I'll stop at each point and, and remind us of how Jesus is the beautiful fulfillment of this story. So remember the story, Genesis 1-1 begins with God creating this beautiful creation, heaven and earth, and he places his image bearers, uh, man and women, human beings on this earth, and he, he creates them to rule, to fill his earth with his image, to partner with him in bringing his wisdom, his justice, his love, his uh, order to his universe. That's what we are created to do, rule and reign with God as his Uh, co-labors in the world to bring his goodness to the rest of the world. But we saw very quickly how the first two human beings were placed in a garden, the Garden of Eden. In the garden, there was an enemy. And that enemy was a spiritual enemy. It was Satan himself disguised as a serpent. And what the serpent gets this first couple to do is rather than trust God, rather trust his love and be a part of what he wants, is to distrust his love and say, you know what, you need to take matters into your own hands. You need to live independently from God. You need to decide for yourselves what will lead to joy and happiness rather than trusting God. And they bought that lie and sin entered the world. But we learned our first week that Jesus in Genesis 3 
is the offspring of Eve, prophesied all the way back there, who would come, a human being, an image bearer of God would come and would defeat our ancient foe. He would do battle. He would suffer injury. His heel would be crushed, but he would crush the serpent's head. And so we looked at Jesus as our champion, as our victor, the one who came and did battle with our greatest spiritual enemy, did that on the cross, disarmed Satan's weapon of accusation and temptation as we get to experience forgiveness, as we get to truly trust in the love of God for us at the cross. We saw him as our victor. Uh, story goes on, of course, sin enters the world and spreads throughout the world. And God's solution to sin spreading through the human race is to choose one family from among all the families. So he chooses Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and he invites them on this journey of faith. He says, leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you. He takes Abraham out into the night sky and he enters into this covenant with him. I'm going to give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And then this is the key promise. He says, I'm going to bless you and I will bless all the nations through you. I'm going to take one family and bless them and through them blessing will come to the nations. His command was this to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless and I will bless the whole earth through you. And we saw how Abraham and his descendants had a really hard time walking with the Lord and being blameless. But we saw then Jesus as the offspring of Abraham, the one who would come and walk before the Lord and be perfectly blameless, live a life of perfect obedience. And then through his perfect and obedient death on the cross, he would be the one who would bring blessing to the nations. Through his obedience and his act of faithfulness, Blessing would come to all peoples, not just to the nation of Israel, but to all peoples through faith in him. He's the offspring of Abraham. Uh, The story goes on. Abraham and his descendants, right? They end up as slaves in Egypt, the most powerful empire in the world at that time. And God hears them and he raises up Moses. And he says to Moses, I have seen the people's suffering. I've heard their cries and I have come down to rescue them. And so he does rescue them from Egypt. He does that through these 10 mighty deeds. We call them the 10 plagues of Egypt. These mighty deeds where he performs acts of power and releases his people. The 10th plague was the destruction of all the firstborn in Egypt. But you'll remember uh, that that the night before that happened, God had the Israelites take a lamb, a lamb without blemish, and slaughter the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts uh, of their house. So that when the angel of the Lord passed through Egypt to kill the firstborn, he would pass over that house and spare that Jewish family, their firstborn child. And we saw Jesus as our great Passover lamb, the one who shed his blood for us so that we could be spared from the righteous justice of God and experience forgiveness and freedom and fellowship with God. Jesus, our Passover lamb. So Israel um, comes out of Egypt, right, through God's deliverance. They pass through the Red Sea, and then they come into the wilderness uh, at Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God enters into a covenant, just as he did with Abraham. Now he enters into a covenant with the people, Abraham's descendants. The covenant is essentially this. You will be my people, and I will be your God. You will be my chosen possession. And if you'll remember there, God sprinkles blood on the people. 
as this act of sealing them for himself, of purifying for, for himself a people that are set apart from all the nations of the world. And we saw how Jesus in the new covenant, he institutes this new covenant through the sprinkling of his blood, that through his blood we are sealed, we are forgiven, we are purified as God's people through his act on the cross. So at Sinai, um, I know, this is, is this working for you? Okay, this, I know this is like a blitzkrieg through this whole thing, but... Um, I'll put them all up on the screen in a second. You'll see it all. Um, at Sinai, God enters into covenant, and then he gives them his laws, right? Uh, beginning with the Ten Commandments. And God actually speaks the Ten Commandments to the people from the mountain. Remember, the mountain shakes, his voice thunders. And after that, the people are like, yeah, Moses, um, why don't you talk to us? We can't handle like God's voice in such an unmediated way. Um, it's just a little too overwhelming. And so God also provides the whole sacrificial system of the tabernacle and the priests and the sacrifices. And in particular, my point here is that the priests become one of God's solutions to that issue. The priest becomes the mediator between God and the people. He enters into the tabernacle. He represents the people before God. So they have a representative in the holy place. And then in in a way, he represents God to the people, but in a way that they can handle, in a way that they can touch and feel and not feel like they're going to be completely undone. And we looked at Jesus as our great high priest. He is the mediator between humanity and God. He represents us before God. He is in God's tabernacle in heaven right now, praying for us, interceding for us. And of course, he represents God to us. He is God with flesh and bones. God in a way that we can handle, we can take in without feeling like we're going to be consumed. So the people wander through the wilderness, uh, and then they enter finally into the promised land. They defeat the the nations around, and they enter into these towns and take up residence there. And then over time, the people ask for a king. We want a king, a human king, meaning not a goddess king, but we want a human king to rule over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. And God grants them that request and provides them a king for Saul, and then, of course, the great king David. And uh, with David, God enters into this covenant with David, which is this. He says to David, I will raise up your offspring, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The covenant is that David will have a descendant on the throne forever, and this descendant will have an eternal kingdom. And we looked at Jesus as our great messianic king, the one from the line of David who comes to rule and reign over God's people for all eternity. He is doing that right now in heaven. Of course, he will do that in a very different way when he comes again to defeat evil and to rule and reign, and God's people will rule and reign with him. But he's our great king. Uh, We saw over time in the promised land, uh, the kings of Israel, the human kings, didn't do such a great job of obeying God. And the people went the way of the kings. They disobeyed again and again over hundreds and hundreds of years. And God raised up prophets, these Israelites, who would speak God's words and and call the people back to the Lord. These were men that God uh, gave authority. He placed his words in their mouths. And they would speak his words to the people so the people could hear from the Lord. And they confronted the people with their idolatry, with their injustice, with their sin. And at the same time, they would remind the people of God's love, of his commitment to them, but calling them to return to the Lord. And we saw Jesus as our great prophet. He is the one who speaks God's words to God's people. He is the word of God. He has the authority to speak God's words. And like a prophet, 
Wow, that's quite... <laughs> Wandering in the wilderness. Yeah, where are we? Oh, boy. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jesus is prophet. That's what it was. Um, that he speaks God's words to us, right? He, and he confronts. His words confront. We're going to look at Luke's gospel most likely in the fall. And you will be confronted again and again with the words of Jesus. I promise you. It will not be a simple and easy process. Uh, but he also, of course, brings these great words of comfort and consolation of God's love and faithfulness for us. Uh, of course, the people did not respond well to the prophets. And so after, after hundreds of years, they were finally uh, taken into captivity and exile in Babylon. Foreign nations came, defeated them, carried them off as slaves into Babylon. There they were, just as they had been hundreds of years ago in Egypt in slavery. Now they're in slavery in Babylon. But God, through the prophets there, promised and prophesied of a new covenant where God would bring them back into the land And a king like David would lead them and he would give them new hearts. And they would finally fulfill that role to be a light to the nations. And during this time, in prophecies, in the time of the exile, there are these two mysterious figures that emerged that were going to be key to God's plan. The first was this one called the servant of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. That one would raise up a servant Israel, an Israelite, who would represent the people and have a ministry to the nation of Israel... But he would be rejected, and he would end up suffering, and he would die. But his suffering would be a suffering on behalf of the people. And the punishment that he would take on himself would be punishment not for his own sins, but for the sins of the people. And through his wounds, through his suffering, somehow he would bring uh, freedom and healing to the nations, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. And we saw how Jesus is the amazing fulfillment of this picture. He is our suffering servant whose wounds on the cross, whose suffering on the cross brings freedom and forgiveness for the entire world, for all who put their trust in him. And then last week we we saw this other very interesting figure that pops up in the prophet Daniel during the exile known as the Son of Man, this person who would come on the clouds of heaven and approach God and would receive an everlasting kingdom. In contrast to the kingdoms of the world that would try to assert their power through force and domination and that would terrify God's people, this human figure would emerge and simply receive the kingdom from God. And it would be a kingdom that would never end. It would not be a a temporary kingdom, but an everlasting kingdom. And that in him ruling in this kingdom, that God's people would rule and reign with him, the Son of Man, for all eternity. And we saw Jesus, of course, as our Son of Man, who came, who has already received a kingdom from his Father through his resurrection. And one day will return to defeat his enemies, to conquer his enemies, and rule and reign in new heaven and new earth with his people for all eternity. And so you have the original picture that God had for our creation, Genesis 1-1, right? That first picture is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus as he comes again and we, his faithful people, put our trust in him, will rule and reign over God's good creation. We will partner with him in bringing his justice and love and mercy to his creation. That was God's intent from the beginning. That is God's intent in the end. All right, so I know that's a quick pass through with a couple nice comic reliefs on the way. Um, so let me just put these, let me just list these for you. Um, here, this is him. He is the offspring of Eve. Uh, he is 
the one who brings Abraham's blessing to the nations. He is our Passover lamb. He is our covenant sacrifice. He is our great high priest. He is our true messianic king. He is the great prophet. He is the Lord's servant. And he is the son of man. Okay? Every deep need that we have in life, every need of the human heart is fulfilled in Jesus. Think about the needs we have. We have this need for a, a champion, a victor who can conquer our enemies. We have this need for a friend who understands what it's like to be one of us. We have this need for, for, for forgiveness. We have this need for guidance. We have this need for truth to be spoken into our lives. Okay? We have this need for security. We have this need for significance. All the, the, the deep issues of our hearts that we go after so many things to try to fill up, those actually God designed it for all of those deepest needs to be met in Jesus Christ. Paul says it so well. He says, all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. In Jesus, we find the fulfillment of all, all of God's great promises to his people. And I said this to me, but it has been an utter delight for me personally to walk with you through these stories and seeing Jesus as the fulfillment. I, one of my favorite um, verses in all scripture that is, speaks very personally to me is uh, Ephesians 3, where Paul says this of himself. He says, although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, he knows what he was before he became a Christian. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, and this is the phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's like, I was a loser. I was a nobody. And yet God has given me this privilege of preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I feel that so much often in my role. Like, dude, I'm nobody. And I have this beautiful privilege week in, week out to be with you all and to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. There are so many riches. He's like this diamond, this multi-sided diamond. We'll never see every angle, but we get to try to search out just some of the aspects of who he is. And this series particularly has been fun. And I feel this great privilege and the, the, the humbling that comes from, like, I get to do this every week with you all. And so I hope that, that it's been a, a privilege for you to, to search out the unsearchable riches of Christ um, with me. So hope you've gotten to understand the story. Hope you've gotten to understand Jesus. And now what we're going to do is we're going to take some time just to respond to all of that, to respond to what we've been hearing and taking in over the last three months. And I want to, before we actually, I'm going to give you some space, but before I do that, I want to set this up right. And um, there's a good phrase that says, all theology should lead to doxology. Has ever heard that? Meaning our thinking about God should always move us towards praising God. Theology should lead to doxology. And I want to issue one warning about a series like this. And I want to take you to a passage. This is something that Jesus says to the Pharisees of his day. Uh, he said this of them. You know, a lot of conflict that he had with the religious leaders of his day. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Okay, this, the, the Pharisees knew their Old Testament scriptures so well, so much better than we do, honestly. Like, we've just scratched the surface of, of their knowledge. And yet, for all of that knowledge, when the Son of God actually was in front of them, that knowledge did not lead them to come to him. Whatever they had done with that knowledge, it had not prepared their hearts so that they would come and receive him when he was standing right in front of them. And I think that is, that's always the danger 
particularly of a series like this, uh, the danger is that this becomes one really nice intellectual exercise, right? Where we're, we're thinking about these ideas and we're going, oh, I see, I've never seen these connections. Look at that. This happens in Exodus and then there's Jesus. And we enjoy the thought of it and, and go, oh, this is so cool. I'm loving all these connections. But it remains as this intellectual exercise. And we don't actually come to the person of Jesus Christ in a fresh way and worship him and offer our lives and commit our ways to him and trust him and delight in him in new ways. That is the danger, all right? And so what we want to do this morning is not fall into that danger because this series is not ultimately about ideas. This series is about a person, right? A person, the, 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 the crucified, risen, exalted Lord of the universe who is present today, <laughs> And he invites us, and invite is not a strong enough word. He calls us, he summons us into into a deeper walk with him, deeper fellowship and relationship with him. And so that's the warning. And of course, on the the positive side is the invitation is let's bring ourselves to Jesus. Let's offer our trust and our worship and our love and obedience in a fresh way in light of all that we've seen in him. So... um, what we're going to do is um, we're going to s- split this into three kind of opportunities to respond, all right? I see, uh, well, there's more than three, but I, I want to talk about three invitations that I think the Jesus that we've come to encounter here offers, he invites us into this morning. So we'll, we'll just take one at a time. Um, the first one is maybe the funnest. Um, I think there is this great invitation this morning for each one of us Uh, Here's the invitation. It is not just to believe, but it is to delight in Jesus. It is to take him in and enjoy him. It is to be satisfied with the things that we've learned. That's what worship is. It's actually not just knowing it, but treasuring it and and enjoying it and being satisfied. with. Here's the invitation in Jesus' own words. He says this, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's a metaphor, of course. Jesus is saying, like, I'm like, this, I'm like this freshly baked piece of bread, and I want you to believe in me, but the kind of belief I'm talking about is not just intellectual assent. No, it's like what you experience when you're hungry, and you see a piece of bread, and you take the bread, and you take it into your mouth, and you taste it. You taste and you feel the warmth of the bread. And then you experience it going into your body. And you experience your, your belly being satisfied. There was a hunger there that you experience now being filled. There's a satisfaction. Or um, uh, this thirsty image elsewhere. He says, I am the water of life. Believing in me should be like, you know what it feels like when you're really thirsty and your mouth is dry and your throat is dry? To take a cold glass of water and to take it in and to experience the refreshment that comes from that. The satisfaction, the quenching of your thirst. And that is the first invitation to actually not just believe that Jesus did things, but to delight in him, to appreciate him, to enjoy him, to experience your heart being satisfied by who he is. Um, Satan believes everything we've talked about this, this summer. He believes it all. The issue is he doesn't like it. <laughs> right? He knows it. 
But he's not satisfied by it. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we are actually satisfied with him. So I want to put this slide back up. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, the, the worship crew back up here right now. Um, and I'm, I'm going to put this up. And the question in this first uh, invitation is this. Um, what have you come to appreciate about Jesus this summer? Okay? And what we're going to do, we're going to give you some space to con- consider that. You, you, there, you know, we've had that many messages about Jesus. But think back over the last three months. What have you actually come to not just know and understand, but to appreciate? What has been satisfying? What have you come to delight in? And if, if you haven't, well, now is an opportunity to do that. To actually go, no, I, I want to I appreciate this. I want to delight in this. I want to treasure this. So what we're going to do is, is give you some time to consider what that is. And just take some time in, in your own heart to thank Jesus. Lord, thank you that you are this. I, and and I, I treasure that today. I, I appreciate. I don't just know it. I appreciate it. All right? So let's take a minute. Um, Scott's just going to play a little bit in the background. And what have you come to appreciate more about Jesus this summer? And then we're going to respond in a very simple song. And then I'll come back up. So that first invitation is an invitation to to delight, to uh, be satisfied. Uh, The second invitation is the invitation to trust. It's the invitation to put our trust again in him in some fresh way. Let me uh, remind you of this great invitation Jesus offers. One of my favorite passages in scripture. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And among other things, I think that is, that is an invitation to trust him and to entrust ourselves to him. He's talking to people who feel burdened, who are tired, who have experienced feeling like life is weighing them down. And he's saying, hey, if that's your experience, come to me. I'm, I'm humble. I'm gentle. You will find... Um, a companion in me, and you will find rest for your souls. So I'm framing that as an invitation to, to trust. And let me, let me suggest two things, two areas that you might need to trust Jesus with. Uh, the first is that we need to trust him with our sin, <laughs> um, that we all have this stuff in our lives that we do, our selfishness, our sin, our brokenness, um, our craziness, our dysfunction, um, all of that. Um, the parts of us that are broken and wrong. And, and the reality is, is, is the consequences of that, the, the guilt and the shame and the brokenness that we live with in that, it's like this burden. It's a weight. It weighs us down. It is a heavy life to live. And so we have an opportunity in a fresh way today to entrust all of that to Jesus, to bring our sin before the foot of the cross, to recognize in Jesus the suffering servant, our Passover lamb, 
who pays for all of our sin so that we can experience freedom. We don't have to live in the weight of shame and guilt anymore, that we can come into the freedom of forgiveness, of living as God's children because of what he did for us. And so every Sunday is an opportunity to entrust, to confess, to offer that sin again, say, this is me, this is my stuff, but I lay it at the foot of the cross. I remind myself, Lord, that you have dealt with this once and for all, that there is no condemnation. I can live in the lightness of the forgiveness that I have. So that's something that you may want to spend time entrusting to him. And then the other thing I would just say is kind of like everything else, um, but like just the circumstances of our lives. And we struggle with our sin. The other thing that we fundamentally struggle with ever since the Garden of Eden is this issue of control. In the end, every one of us is a control freak, okay? We have different styles of being control freaks, but we try to control our lives. We try to control our future. We try to control the circumstances of our lives. And trying to control everything is a really heavy way to live. It is a burden. And I think Jesus invites us, you do not need to live that way. Let me control your life. Entrust the future. Entrust the situations, the people of your life to me. I am your king, I am the son of man. I have authority. I can handle these things. So live in the lightness of entrusting these things. You don't have to control everything anymore. That's my job. (laughs) So trusting him is entrusting the situations of our lives to him. So you might want to uh, do that. But we're going to do the same thing. We're just going to create some space. And I would ask you that question. What is Jesus inviting you to trust him with? What does he want you to entrust to him at this season of your life? Let's just take a minute in prayer silently to entrust him with what needs to be and what ought to be and what is most safely entrusted to him. And then we'll sing a song of trust. So the final invitation is not just the invitation to delight, not just to trust, but the final invitation is the invitation to follow. And this is where the word invitation is not strong enough. It is a call. It is a summons to follow. The person that we've experienced calls us, come follow me. It's a call to obedience, to giving, surrendering our lives to him and walking in the ways that he wants. Uh, here's Here's Jesus' own words for this one. Again, this invitation to come. If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus is constantly calling people, come and follow me. And he uses this metaphor of a cross. He says, if you want to follow me, the only way to do it is to pick up your cross, meaning basically saying, you've got to die. You've got to be willing to die. You've got to die to your own interests, to your own life, to your own safeties and comforts. If you want to follow me, that's what it takes. You kind of have to surrender everything. It's not a half-in, half-out sort of thing. That offer, I said a couple weeks ago, is not on the table. So come and die. Come and die to control over your own life. Come and die to your own plans, your own hopes. Surrender it all and come and follow me and walk in my ways. And here's the deal. It's a big ask. But the alternative is much, much worse. This is what you can do. You can lose your life now for me. 
lose control, let go, and you will have eternal life with me. Or you can hold on to your life, and you will lose it for eternity. Those are the only two offers on the table. <laughs> and so hopefully in this, in this series, you have, you've seen the person of Jesus. You've seen all that he is and who he, who, what he has done for us. And then you hear a person calling you in a fresh way, come follow me. Give yourself to me. Abandon yourself to me. No half-hearted measures. Come all in. Jump into the deep end with me. That's the invitation. And so that's, that's the final invitation. And the way that we're going to respond is by receiving communion together. We've got this bread and this wine that represents Jesus' body and blood that was spilled for us, that was shed for us. And uh, the, the, the kind of interesting thing is in communion, we're actually not celebrating our commitment to Jesus. In communion, communion, we're celebrating his commitment to us. But what we get to do is reflect on that commitment. It was not a half-hearted commitment. It was not a, I'm going to dip my toes in kind of commitment. He gave us everything. He gave us his life. He was all in for us. And from the other side of the grave, he says, I have given you everything. And now I want you to turn around and do the same thing for me. Give me your life. Obey. Follow. No half measures. Jump in. That's always the invitation from Jesus. That is the call. And of course, the danger of living where we do is it's easy just to do church and to never answer that call. And so that is the final call of this series. It's a call to, to, to obey, to follow, to walk in his ways. And so we're going to receive communion. And what you can do is come up and, and receive on your own time. But maybe you want to just consider, uh, it's hard just to like, Give everything up, you know, in a moment. But maybe there's a particular area of your life where you think Jesus would be saying, I want, I want more of this from you. It might be your future. You need to let go of your plans. It might be a certain circumstance where you're holding on. He's like, no, you got to give this up. you got to follow me. So there might be a particular area or issue where you, you, you experience that, that call to follow in a more radical way. It may just be, you know, I just need to be way more intentional in my pursuit of Jesus than I've been. Um, it could be just about anything. But we're going to create some space. You don't have to all come up at once. And let your coming up here to receive Jesus' commitment to you, let that also be your expression of your commitment to him. Your way of standing and walking up here, being your way of saying, you know what, Jesus? I want to follow you more closely. I want to I take this dive deeper and deeper into relationship and commitment to you. We get to do that together because this is a communal event that we experience. So whenever you're ready and take your time, come to one of the tables, take the bread, dip it in the cup. You can either hear or bring it back to a table. We're going to sing a couple songs, be singing in, in, in the time. And as you're in line, as you're, let this all be time with Jesus. Don't be distracted by what's going on. Let this be time with you to give yourself a fresh commitment, to give Jesus a fresh commitment of your life. So, You're invited to the table. So when you're ready, come, take, and eat.